retirement. I found him very intelligent on the topics we touched, and before I went home, I was encouraged so far as to volunteer another visit tomorrow. But he evidently wished no repetition of my intrusion. I shall go, notwithstanding. Yesterday afternoon set in misty and cold. I had half a mind to spend it by my study fire instead of wading through heath and mud to Wuthering Heights. However, I arrived at Heathcliff's garden gate just in time to escape the first feathery flakes of a snow shower. I knocked vainly for admittance till my knuckles tingled and the dog howled. Vinegar-faced Joseph projected his head from a round window of the barn. Is there nobody inside to open the door? I hallooed responsively. There's no but but missus, muttered the head, vanishing. The snow began to drive thickly. I seized the handle to essay another trial, when a young man without coat, a servant evidently, and shouldering a pitchfork, appeared in the yard behind and hailed me to follow him. In the huge, warm, cheerful apartment where I was formerly received, I was pleased to observe the missus, an individual whose existence I had never previously suspected. I bowed and waited, thinking she would bid me to take a seat. She looked at me, leaning back in her chair, and remained motionless and mute. She was slender and apparently scarcely past girlhood, an admirable form, and the most exquisite little face that I have ever had the pleasure of beholding. Small features, very fair, flaxen ringlets. Sit down, said the young man gruffly. He'll be in soon. I obeyed, but began to doubt whether he were a servant or not. His dress and speech were both rude, entirely devoid of the superiority observable in Mr. and Mrs. Heathcliff. His thick brown curls were rough and uncultivated, his whiskers encroached bearishly over his cheeks, and his hands were embrowned like those of the common labourer. Still his bearing was free, almost haughty, and he showed none of a domestic's assiduity in attending on the lady of the house. The entrance of Heathcliff caused tea to be served to us, and relieved the silence somewhat, and we all, including the rustic youth, drew round the table. <clears throat> it is strange, I began, in the interval of swallowing one cup of tea and receiving another. It is strange how custom can mould our tastes and ideas. Many could not imagine the existence of happiness in a life of such complete exile from the world as you spend, Mr. Heathcliff. Yet I'll venture to say that surrounded by your family and with your amiable lady as the presiding genius over your house and hearth, my amiable lady, he interrupted, with an almost diabolical sneer on his face. Where is she, my amiable lady? Uh, Mrs. Heathcliff. Your wife, I mean. Oh, you would intimate that her spirit has taken the post of ministering angel and guards the fortunes of Wuthering Heights even when her body is gone. Is that it? Perceiving myself in a blunder, I attempted to correct it. 
I might have seen that there was too great a disparity between the ages of the parties to make it likely that they were man and wife. One was about forty, the other did not look seventeen. Then it flashed upon me. The clown at my elbow may be her husband, Heathcliff Jr., of course. Mrs. Heathcliff's my daughter-in-law, said Heathcliff, corroborating my surmise. Ah, certainly, I see now. You are the favoured possessor of the beneficent fairy, I remarked, turning to my neighbour. This was worse than before. The youth grew crimson and clenched his fist with every appearance of a meditated assault. Unhappy in your conjectures, sir, observed my host. We neither of us have the privilege of owning your good fairy. Her mate is dead. I said she was my daughter-in-law, therefore she must have married my son.'